Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and a psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. I don't like their heads, I don't like their faces, I don't like their feet, I don't like their conversations, I don't like their hairdos, I don't like their automobiles. I don't like their dogs or the cats or their roses. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, do you think I blame you more because you have such a bad character? (laughs) I'm David Bazaar from Cornell University. You know, I really deeply, truly believe that I'm blameless. I don't think I've ever done anything wrong or hurtful. (laughs) Like Jesus. (laughs) Like Jesus. I don't know. He hurt Judas's feelings by calling him out in front of all his friends. I don't even know what Judas did. What did he do? He betrayed he betrayed Jesus by selling him for silver to the Romans. Just you know the reason the reason for centuries of anti Semitism right there. (laughs) How much silver? I think it was twenty pieces. Twenty pieces? I mean, you know, that's probably back then. So there's a price on our Lord and Savior, is what you're saying? Like, <laughs> I mean, look, he can just resurrect himself anytime he wants. So I'm, uh, I don't, I don't really see the problem. Well, not only that, but it was like part of the divine plan. Somebody had to, you know. I mean, it had to happen. So Judas stepped up. Yeah. So uh, you know, it's like if it's if. If it's it's kind of like your Greek story that you just uh, that we talked about last time and that you just wrote a Flickers of Freedom post on, um, which is if it's decreed by fate and somebody has to do it, you know, is it like is it really is it really blameworthy? So Judas ended up hanging himself out of guilt, I, I guess, or or maybe the other disciples made it look like a suicide. <laughs> That's probably what it was. <laughs> So yeah. They put the gun in his hand. And it was like rigor, rigor mortis hand. Yeah. <laughs> it sprinkled a little crack on him <laughs> to make it look C- drug related. Like CSI. Where did this happen? Rome? In Hebrew land. <laughs> CSI Hebrew land <laughs> would figure out that that was no suicide. So actually your question is going to lead us nicely into, our, into your topic. But, I, but we, both you and I, wanted to mention a couple of things. One is this... Uh, <clears throat> There are people who know a lot about the brain because you and I don't, and uh, and they're friends of ours. They're they're friends of the podcast and have have really supported us in the past. And we are doing all we can to spread the word. Neuro.tv. They have a Kickstarter. Neuro.tv. They have a Kickstarter. I think they've done a couple. They have episodes up, so yeah. they're trying to yeah. do to to get there, which is a worthy cause because you and I have talked about doing video and how difficult that might be. But they have full video. They're they're trying to raise money for production, right? Make it make it look snazzy. Get some good mics. Get some good video cameras. Get a video. Yeah. Speaking of that, there's a possibility that we might do a collaboration with Blogging Heads, um, but there are a few hurdles. One of which is that we have faces for radio. That we have faces faces for for podcast, audio (laughs) podcasts. Yeah, and we're and we're too vain. You know, like most people, they don't give a shit. They just accept that. But but that's hard for. I know. I know. So Tamler was thinking of having dancing nude men behind him um, to sort of increase the production value of his. I just think I would look better with a bunch of like swinging dicks in my face. You know, like. Like sort of banging on my head and stuff like that, you know? That, right, you behind know. rubbing in your haunted haircut. <laughs> Excuse me if I feel a little more comfortable with like nine dancing naked men behind me. 
Sorry, if that, does that make me weird? <laughs> I don't blame you at all. Okay, but, so support neuro.tv, support our podcast, verybadwizards.com. Yeah, you go to the support page, Amazon, just, just bookmark that uh, Amazon link. And and the way Dave set it up, it's not that clear what you have to press, but it's it's that hyperlink so that just says support us on Amazon. Right. Um, and you just click that, and anything you buy on Amazon uh, that you were going to buy anyway, a little a little cut of that goes to yeah. us. And thank you for all the people who have done it because we have gotten some, some nice little – Amazon gift cards come out of that that's allowed us to to purchase some things. I didn't we tell you about much that. Purchase everything. I purchase everything on Amazon Prime now. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. It's like I you know, I don't it's sometimes I wonder how many people are being oppressed because I can get my you know, crappy stuff delivered second day through Amazon Prime. <laughs> well, as a as a devoted Apple user, mm-hmm. Clearly, that's not something that you think about or care about. Um, well, you know, it's just, sometimes it's worth it. Sometimes oppression Every is worth PC it. PC I I own is fair trade, <laughs> organic. It's fair organic. trade or it's fair trade organic. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So. All right. Um, actually, this will lead into our topic. Um, I want to tell you about this story. It comes from the world of the NFL, and I know you're a. You're sort of a hipster, well, a hipster metrosexual. No, you know, the problem is that I was raised by Latin Americans. They, we don't know the rules of football. I, we, <laughs> it's not that. It's, it's that you're a hipster and that the only sports you follow are Premier League soccer and curling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're a big curler. Admit that you watch curling and you follow it. <laughs> There's this big sort of controversial story coming out about um, – Richie Incognito. That sounds like a porn name. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Richie Incognito stars. Apparently, in. that's just his name, though. <laughs> and uh, he's a fellow offensive lineman, Jonathan Martin. And Jonathan Martin recently quit the team, or he just took a leave of absence from the team, uh, dealing with emotional problems. And it came out that this Richie Incognito guy has been just kind of harassing him. Now, the background of this is that he was a rookie last year, and Jonathan Martin, and rookies get hazed in the NFL. They get hazed badly, and they get, uh, right. you know, f- for some reason, they have to pay for everything, even though they're generally now not the. Uh, Wait, what do you mean by everything? Players. What? What do you mean pay for everything? Pay for like they had to. I mean, one of the things at issue here is that he had to pay for fifteen thousand dollars for a trip to Las Vegas for all the linemen that he didn't even go to. Oh my God. Uh, they have to pay for all the dinners that they go out to, and the guys will. The guys are dicks, right? They'll they'll order yeah. you know bottles of Cristal and. And, and and so this there was just details that there was harassment and the big guy that was doing it it seems like was Richie Incognito. Little added element: Richie Incognito is white. Jonathan Martin is black. And uh, and, and and this has been a real interesting controversy in the NFL because Jonathan Martin filed actual harassment charges against Richie Incognito, and that led to Richie Incognito getting. Getting fired, uh, not fired, suspended, but probably will never now play for the Dolphins again. And uh, here, just I, I want to. What I'm really interested in is the reaction to this story. But mm-hmm. uh, but let me just give you a, a sample of this voicemail that Richie Incognito left, and this was back in April, and this was part of the evidence, and this evidence was leaked somehow. So the voicemail went. Um, Hey, what's up, you half N-word piece of piece of shit? I saw you on Twitter. You've been training ten weeks. I want to come in your mouth. I'm gonna slap your fucking mouth. I'm gonna slap your real mother across the face. Laughter. Uh, you fuck you. You're still a rookie. I'll kill you. Well. And so that was that was one, that was one of the uh, that, that was that was one of the voicemails. Now, what's interesting about this to me? A couple of things, right? Normally, when these kind of hazing stories come out, it's not the first, right? This is right. just a tradition in the NFL. This is something that has been going on forever, 
And it's not it's never been something that everyone feels comfortable with. Right. But it's just okay. sort of it's a tradition. It's tradition, right. Yeah. And um normally people they don't like the guy who went out who went out of the clubhouse. You know, right. they don't like the right. snitch, right? It's loyalty. It's, I mean, that's the point of hazing, right? It sort of builds this bond. It's like, exactly. you know, it makes you, as, as the cognitive dissonance theorist pointed out, it makes you uh, sort of justify the effort. Like, you're like, well, I must really be loyal to this team if I put up with all this shit, you know? That's right. And if you do have a problem, which you sometimes do, you're supposed to deal with it in-house. Right. You're not supposed to deal with it in the press. You're certainly not supposed to file charges or anything like that right 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 um and oh so my initial reaction knowing nothing of the story is you read the voicemail and it sounds horrible it sounds horrible you know and there are in certain contexts it would be it would be just a really really harassing thing to say if it's if it's in this sort of spirit though like that's the kind of shit guys say when they're joking with each other in the I mean, clubhouse that's what you yeah, that's in the clubhouse just, yeah, and that's, that, that happens I mean that's what you say to time, me during room. our breaks right like i i feel like he might have plagiarized actually from from our outtakes <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> and no. i just cry a little bit but i don't complain <laughs> <laughs> you cry. You cry in the shower, well, yeah, and when I'm going podcast. to sleep in the yeah. in the fetal position. <laughs> but uh, and that's normally how it is. And and then the word bullying came up in this context, right? That he was bullying Jonathan right. Martin. And and I was listening to some of the sports shows yesterday, and you know. A, a, a number of the sportscasters who, you know, they're not – they're good liberal they, – they say – and, and, and I, I, I kind of understand this, right? I kind of – I feel this too. When you're 6'3", six, 6'4", three, six, 320 pounds, you can't get bullied, right? You've, you've, I, you've, you've grown the to the point where, where the bullying is the wrong word for what anybody is doing to you. Right. Well, so has this guy uh, – what's the name of the, the – Jonathan uh, Martin. Has he complained in public? Like has he said – Well, anything? he filed the charges and once he but filed his, the charges, it was going to get out. Right? But he hasn't he, like he, interviewed – he, he hasn't said like he's bullying me. What? Yeah, he hasn't actually said like he was bullying. No, no, no. It's okay. bullying has has been the <laughs> word that's been. Yeah, everyone wants to talk about bullying at any point, either bullying or the hookup culture. <laughs> right, right. Sexting and bullying, like the two downfalls of our of our youth. Right, and uh, so so and again, this was sort of like you know, and then it's also there have been a few people who said this Jonathan Martin guy's a little soft, and he can't take this kind of normal hazing that goes on but here's the interesting thing and i think this is going to lead into our topic very well that's how normally this kind of thing would be handled but actually richie incognito is getting virtually no sympathy now why is he getting virtually no sympathy here even though he was suspended will probably never play for the dolphins again he's a pro bowl player which means like it's there it's the football all-star uh, it's the football all-star team last year. He's he's good, you know, and he'll yeah. and he'll never play for the Dolphins again. Once that voicemail was released, they said they're pretty much cutting ties with him. But he's getting no sympathy because this guy has a history, right? That goes all the way back to when he was at Nebraska. Uh, he has a reputation as a dirty player. He has a reputation as just an overall dick with anger management. You know, like he's he, he had to do anger management. He's like the Wayne Gretzky of the NFL is what you're talking <laughs> Who? Uh, <laughs> Richie Incognito. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, that, that, that was uh, Gretzky's reputation of being <laughs> a big bully. Yeah. That would intimidate everybody. So this guy is just an overall bad guy, it sounds like, and has gotten into trouble with all this before. And so, you know, he everyone is sort of taking Jonathan Martin's side on this. Uh, and they're looking at it through a different lens. They're looking at it from a lens of, yeah, look, this isn't bullying. Let's just get that out of the conversation but this is a guy who has mental who's mentally unable to handle this kind of harassment that maybe other rookies could handle just muttering like fuck you or maybe other rookies would have finally just and this is what people say incognito should have done is just punch the guy in the face you just punch the guy in the face and it's not you mean not incognito but 
but the Martin, other guy should Martin had yeah, just he like, punched, you know, this was a lot. Again, yeah. this was like Tony Kornheiser on PTI said, why didn't he just punch him in the face? And Will Bond, you know, and they were saying, this is what we always say, you know, you just stay, you just stop it by, so, by, by punching the guy. And then so, that's, and, and, and then. And that usually stops it with men. Yeah, it does. It does. And you with know, other non-human male primates. But nobody's looking at it that way. They're looking. They're actually taking the sort of yeah. Most people would do that and should do that. But this guy was incapable of doing it. He has some emotional problems. Now you could argue that the emotional problems are everybody else, and that you know like submitting <laughs> right. to this kind of harassment is <laughs> is the normal thing. But you know. In the context of the NFL, no, it's 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 not the normal thing to just get so bothered by it that you have to leave the team. But people are just feeling sympathy for him. There's very little sort of you know as there normally would, even among the players, right? right. A lot of the players Nobody's are just saying defense. this incognito guy is a motherfucker. He should have been out of the league a long time ago. This is just another example, and so they're blaming they're blaming him. And anyway, I thought that was interesting based on what but what we're talking about. Uh, so I uh, – yeah. No, that's a really good illustration. And my intuitions shifted from the beginning of, the, of your story to the end when you started telling me about, about Rich, Richie Incognito's history. And and I think that – I mean we'll get – we'll talk about this when we come back because it does tie in nicely to what we want to talk about. But one – you know, one thing that strikes me is even when – I've had the opportunity of being when I was a kid and I had the opportunity of being higher status and making fun or picking on somebody because that happens. Right. I mean, I was usually the, the, the target growing up. And in fact, really, were you when I, was in fourth, I, I was when I was when I moved to California in fourth grade, I was being seriously bullied by um, a group of kids in my new school. And uh, my dad found this out from my mom because i would tell my mom i wouldn't tell my dad and my dad set me aside and he said next time the guy because this this guy was every day saying like I'll, I'll kick your ass i'll kick your ass in fourth grade so uh my dad says next time he says that he wants to fight you fight him yeah so i was like okay and so i went to school and he said like again once again i'll kick your ass i said all right after pe let's let's fight and so sure enough after pe you know all the kids get around in a circle and yeah you know, I think that I don't think that either of us landed a punch before it got broken sure. up, but they never fucked with me after that. Right. Again. Never. Right. And in fact, I became good friends with some of the kids that were like sort of in that group. Um, and and but, so it worked. You know, punching him in the face is the is that's why my intuition was yeah he should have punched him in the face. And you know, uh, but he shouldn't have to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, like you had the father and the the just general character, and you know, we've talked about this. I think on an earlier episode, you know, that is sort of the advice that we would give our kids well before we told right. them to report it to the principal. As long as right, right, the right. worst that thing that he could suffer is a, uh, you know, just like getting getting beat up, like rather than right, just getting right, killed right, right. or getting seriously right. injured. Well, yeah. And even that, you know, once you get to high school, I don't know that this is a good advice. No. In high school, high school it is. that yeah. kind of bullying <laughs> is different, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. And people have knives and guns. And people have knives uh, and guns. Let's, uh, let's take, take a break, break get- um, and we'll be back to talk about this theme of how character can influence our blame judgments. Go ahead. Do your trick. Now you see that evil will always triumph because good is dumb. Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. So, continuing the discussion of uh, the guy with a porn name, Richie Incognito. Wait, can, but before we before we get into that, uh, I have a question because this is somewhat urgent for me. We are in my great books course that I always talk about. We're doing the Gospel of Matthew. Oh yeah. 
Can you tell me like what to expect with that? Because <laughs> I, I've just read the first. I just read the first page while my fucking Windows eight was updating, um, and and still is. So we have to record. I know. I barely yeah. remember part one since you've been updating this whole time. Well, it's just a lot of uh, just a lot of begetting so far. <laughs> a lot of begetting. Hey, what'd you read? The first could... chapter. Uh, yeah, but like what? So so I, I don't totally understand the the whole. Is this just? Are, are they all just the stories of Jesus? Yeah. So there are uh, there are four gospels that are all the stories of Jesus. There are three that are very similar, and they're referred to collectively as the Synoptic Gospels: Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It seems as if they had the same the same source, um, and they're they're very similar. And then there's the Book of John, which is slightly different, uh, it's, but it's another gospel. But they're all essentially like collectively told the story of Jesus told by three different people. Um, and you know the story. Sorry. You know they're all Jews in there. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, yeah, Luke might have been a Gentile. I don't remember, but but you know it is it is a story of Jews written by Jews. It's just a couple of thousand years of history getting getting the way. As usual, we're all we're behind. We're more behind the scenes uh, at the <laughs> There's a lot of hand rubbing, shifty eyes. <laughs> as with as with finance in Hollywood. Well, it's all good. Right. It's good. I'm glad that you're reading it. All the, right, let's talk about this topic because it's uh, a paper that you have just written a in a collected volume. Right? <laughs> collected volume. Yeah, this is a paper I wrote with David Tannenbaum. A chapter. We actually uh, this was part of a, the proceedings from a conference in Israel. Uh, a couple of years ago on on morality it's a, you know i like it it's a it's a fun it was a fun chapter to write and essentially it's all about moral character and uh is right up your alley the question that we really are trying to address is is this very question about about richie incognito right which is it seems as if the very same things done by a person who wasn't – let's call this the douchebag view of moral responsibility. Okay. Simply – I think the, the simplest way to state it is that Richie Incognito is more blameworthy because of the kind of person he is. So even if he – somebody else did the same exact thing, uh, he – With the same exact – under the same exact circumstances. Under right? the same circumstances, another member of the team who doesn't – who isn't widely known as a dick or a douchebag who did the same things, they would probably get a break. And, and it, Jonathan Martin probably wouldn't get as much of a break. And he wouldn't get as much of a break. He would seem like weaker or whatever. And and this, I, I think this poses a puzzle um, for traditional theories of responsibility. So, so let's just outline sort of a, a traditional Western view of moral responsibility, something you've written about, something I've written about, which is very much focused on the act, the local circumstances of the agent. So, so you do something yeah. bad. It has to be that it's, it's judged to be a violation, right? You, you kill someone or you, you steal money, let's just say. You steal money, uh, and then you need to meet sort of a, a certain set of requirements you have to be an agent that has the ability to formulate intentions. You have to have some sort of control over the outcome, some causal role in it. And if you meet – in social psychology and in legal theory, there are these very sort of stage-like view. Like did did the agent intend it? Did he cause it? Did he have control over it? Yeah, mens re. Yeah, exactly. And if you meet and then, all you know, of those – Of course, in philosophy, we break it down to all sorts of different – You know, did they act from a deeper self? If you're a libertarian, was right. the act um, – Was it at, free in the large can, sense? Was it free in the sense that it it doesn't tr- it can't trace back to any kind of circumstances beyond your control? But in every you don't have to be a philosopher to have this view that when you're look when you're evaluating acts for whether they're blameworthy or not, you look at the act and the facts about the agent at the time that the that the agent committed the act. Right. Did right. they know it was wrong? Exactly. They yeah. To do it. Yeah, right. But so then you have these puzzling cases where it really does seem to be the case that that uh, somebody, say in Richie Incognito's case, could meet all of those requirements and it still wouldn't seem that wrong. So it's it is as wrong as it does in the Richie Incognito case. So one question is, uh, and I think that that there is a, a 
a view in legal theory and probably just in the Western view of culpability and responsibility, saying that Richie Incognito is more blameworthy than somebody else uh, who was in the same exact circumstances is an error. It's wrong. Is you're 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 fucking up the process, and this is I think what this leads is a to misfire of the sort of exactly. Process. So you're making a mistake. Yeah, and that's why, for instance, on in some kinds of legal cases, you're not allowed to bring information in about the agent's like past criminal behavior um, because it seems that this would it seems as this would taint it, um, and so. So okay, so now you have a bunch of you have a bunch of findings in experimental philosophy and in social psychology that kind of point to the fact that character, some something about the person, their history, the kind of person they are, is playing a role in these responsibility judgments. So one of my favorite examples is from Mark Alec, um, who's a social psychologist, and he has these this paper on culpable causation. So this is the scenario that he he uses. It says Tamler is driving home to his parents' house. It's raining, and he's also just speeding. So uh, he gets into a car wreck, and he ends up hurting some people. So the question is, how much causal control did Tamler have over this? Uh, and here's what's varied. In one condition, participants read that he was driving home to hide a, a, an anniversary present from his parents. He realized that his parents were getting home soon and he wanted to hide the anniversary gift. In another condition, he was driving home to hide cocaine that he had left out from his parents. Right? Let's call this the, the David condition. <laughs> and so then when you ask participants how much control did he have over the accident, they view the cocaine condition as having more control than the anniversary condition. When in fact, every all the description up until then has been exactly the same in both conditions. So Mark Alec thinks that what's going on is that you're spontaneously blaming uh, the character, the agent, and that this blame is tainting your your view of what should normatively co- have come before, like how much control, how much causality. Yeah. So so he's very much in this sort of error and bias tradition. Thinks that that this is showing that these spontaneous judgments of like dislike or of blame are tainting the process. But now wait, so that's a different kind of judgment, right? That's a judgment about the amount of control yeah. rather than a judgment yeah. about the amount of blame. Right? But exactly, but Mark so Mark is actually uh uses judgments of causality and control um as a way of arguing that fundamentally the judgments of responsibility will shift because causality and control will. So he views this as a vicious circle. You spontaneously and kind of non-cognitively think that the cocaine guy is an asshole and this then leads you to say he had more cause causal control over it and this will lead to a judgment of blame that's that's amplified like a a a deliberated judgment of blame that's amplified because we implicitly think that a certain level of control is needed to to exactly exactly Yeah, yeah yeah so there there is a case in which you have this empirical evidence where he clearly thinks it's 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 uh an error but I've always had pro- I've always had problems with this because not with the studies but with the, the conclusion because I actually think that it's not unreasonable to think that the cocaine guy you're giving people imperfect imperfect information you know he was speeding and and it was stormy outside and it was raining and what other source of information are you going to use than that a guy who's who keeps cocaine at home might actually be reckless in his driving. So there's one sense in which I don't think it's it's really an error, um, right? That you're actually it's it's a heuristic for figuring out certain relevant aspects of the act that are hidden from us, right? Right. Uh, so, and so a person who's hiding an anniversary gift is more likely or less likely to be reckless. Yeah, he's probably a responsible, good guy than you are. Yeah. Yeah. So, Trying to hide your coke from your parents. <laughs> I just keep it in But they didn't even side. know what it was. I, I just tell them it's it's Johnson's baby powder. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then your mom puts it uh, on her ass. <laughs> <laughs> Asshole. So there is one kind of, of, of study from social psychology. And then you have the Nob effect. And we should get Josh. We're going to get Josh Nob on again. Right? We, we talked about jo- – yeah, we yeah, got to yeah, because yeah. we still have to hash out our disagreement and I still have to get him mad. <laughs> um, 
So this is, I, I guess the pitch of the chapter is that if we look at what's going on psychologically in these moral judgments, it's actually a weird thing to think that what we're doing is taking these features of the act and building a theory of blame out of these like local features of the act. What makes a lot more sense psychologically, and I think it meshes well with all of the work on on sort of person perception and impression formation, is that what we're fundamentally doing is judging people. And right. we, we judge people in as a sort of long-term thing like a we're we're making assumptions about the nature of the like is this a good person or a bad person um and we're gleaning information wherever we can about whether or not this is really underlying like is this a good person and if so we kind of give them a break when they do bad things or is this a bad person and if so they're villains and we don't give them breaks so in that view though the purpose of blame judgments isn't to assign the proper amount of moral responsibility right. it is to judge the person's character in the appropriate fashion yeah when you think i so i think that what's happening is when you look at the the why we have such a thing like moral blame, like why does something like that exist? I think that it makes sense to think to to view it psychologically at least as uh, serving the purpose of divvying up our world into good guys and bad guys because keeping good guys around you is a very, very good thing. Keeping bad guys around you is a very, very bad thing. If you make the error of entering business with a psychopath, so I've just been watching The Sopranos, right? And uh, every single, this is this theme to to the show, which is, Never, ever get in business with Tony Soprano because if anything goes wrong, you're completely screwed. So Artie Bucco, the restaurant owner, you know, is like a, a, a couple of times he makes a deal with Tony and just ends up getting completely bitten. His, his restaurant gets burned down. Right. Exactly. exactly. It's like the, uh, the, scor- the story of the scorpion and the frog. Like you should fucking know that it's a scorpion. You should know that Tony Soprano is a, a fucking psychopath bulldog. Who's going to step over you? That charismatic as hell one. What a great actor, too. So if psychologically that's what's driving these evaluations, I think it makes perfect sense that these are going – This the evaluation of a person as a good or bad guy is going to infuse uh, your judgments of moral responsibility for any action that they perform. So a bad guy, is like a nasty CEO or a psychopath mob boss or just a jerk or a douchebag like Richie Incognito, um, it makes sense that, that when you're judging their particular actions, it's going to be infused with everything you know about who they are as a person. So here's one question for you, Tamler. Is that – should we say, fine, that's how, that might be how we make judgments – but that's not how we ought to make judgments. Like, yeah, okay. So that's that's the key question. And that's right. a really good question. And let me. And I know I know precision is not our strong suit, but let me <laughs> try to divide two different alternatives that could be the implication of what you're saying and the results. Right. The first is that it's appropriate to take a person's character into account. This is what we said before, right? It's appropriate to take a person's character into account because that will give you information about additional features of the act that are unknown to you, right? Right. And in that sense... If that's true, that's just an empirical question, whether somebody's character actually gives more information about whatever you don't know uh, concerning the act. But if that's true, then of course it would be something that we ought to do because, you know, on every theory of moral responsibility, you're supposed to take as many facts about the about the uh, about the act as you can, right? As many features of the right. act. Uh, the more you know about it, the more certain your judgment of moral responsibility and blameworthiness can be, right? right? So that's one that's one alternative. I take that to be sort of the the less radical or less in, interesting right. alternative. Right, right, right. The other is 
No, it doesn't necessarily give you any additional information about the act. Like in your case, it doesn't give you any information about the reckless driver, how reckless he was being. Right. You know, you might have the same level of recklessness to right. try to hide your Coke or hide a uh, anniversary gift, right? Right. But it's just appropriate to blame the person more who's just a douchebag, right? Right. That that's actually the right thing to do. That that and in some way that is what blame is. That's what blame is, right? We're just wrong that blame is something that we're supposed to assign based on a particular person's mental state and facts about the agent at the time of the uh, at the time that the agent performed the act. That's that's not what blame is. Blame is a way of judging a person's character. Right, right, and I think you know I, I'm I, I'm I'm probably with you on this. I, I'm tempted towards that view in a lot of cases, and you know, it's not like it's not reflected at all in the legal system, right? No, there right. are plenty of crimes where an aggravating factor can be, you know, have you committed other crimes before, and I'm, plenty of crime and plenty of crimes where mitigating factors can be. This is a good person that just made a mistake. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, and you might say that's consequentialist justification. Those have consequentialist justifications. It, they might, but uh, you know, and and to be honest, I've been interested in the psychology of this sort of less than in the the normative implications of it because I think but I do I am convinced that people don't think of it as a consequentialist justification. It may I agree. yeah, totally. it may be that that there is some consequentialist justification, but I don't think that that's what people are thinking like uh, you know, every once in a while when you talk about uh, psychopaths are an interesting case about this, right? So a psychopath clinically, my best understanding and I think the best understanding of the field is that there's something deeply broken about these people. They seem to be born broken, they have this um, a deficit in empathy. They don't seem to have, be able to acquire the kind of moral knowledge that you or I would acquire. And when you look at things like uh, the heritability of psychopathy, it's just right up there with any other mental illness. I think that in some broad sense, they are not, they are not responsible in the same way that, that, uh, that somebody acting from any other mental illness might not be responsible. But that's not how we feel about them, man. These are the evilest people in the world. And we actually, we actually give them the death penalty. We don't show leniency. And I think that part of the reason might be uh, because we, we have some internalized notion that these people are so much – they're so bad that they are likely to in the future do lots of bad things. We can't show them any leniency. Like push, we push them off the cliff, right? Yeah. No, I mean I, th- I think that's right. You're just trying to stamp out the evil and you're not worried about why the person right. is evil or what, how they became evil. Right. I do think, however, to, to give a little argument for the other side, it's not like we don't take these factors into account at all. Right. right. The famous in philosophy, at least, Gary Watson case, the Robert Harris case. You know, where you find out about this guy's background. It, the background doesn't tell you anything about this this Robert Harris being a nice guy. All it does is explain why he's such a vicious, violent, uh, borderline psychopath, although apparently not exi- not a psychopath in the Wait, so what, what's, who is this person? His story is, it's, it's, it's Robert Harris. He's, I think we've talked about this before, but you've forgotten. It's, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a paper by Gary Watson and it's this, this guy who, Robert Harris, who, who committed a, just a horrible crime. He, he got, he carjacked these two kids, told them that they were going to rob a bank and that they were just going to help and that he would let them live but then but then just <laughs> drove them to the side of the road there was no bank and just shot them both in the head and killing them and then and then the, the sort of the, the most chilling part of the story is that he then wanted to dress up as a cop to tell the mother <laughs> that, uh, that w- what had happened, right? I mean, just a miserable human being. And so, uh, so, so Gary Watson explains 
just the story first and then says, when you hear this story, you're, you're thinking this guy, if anybody deserves the death penalty, it's this guy. Yeah. Uh, then you hear about his background, which is, if anything, worse. Like just his family history, the abuse. Just, I, I won't get into the details and I don't have it in front of me, but just the just constant physical, sexual, mental abuse that he experienced. You learn that, you know, as a child, he cried when Bambi died. And, you know, all of that was just beaten out of him systematically. And, and it does affect your judgment about the guy's blameworthiness and moral responsibility. It do, but it doesn't change your mind that this guy is a just a, 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 a sinister, evil guy now. But, you, but there, is, there is something about, uh, a per, you know, how a person became the character that they did that I think do, do, it, it influences our bl- blame judgments, but probably not to the extent, anywhere near the extent, that most people presume. Right, right. And uh, so I think you're right. I mean, I think there is there is a fairly extreme view, this like very strict maybe maybe it's Kantian, but it's also consequentialist of like what should influence. And and the law sometimes has it and sometimes doesn't. So 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 you're right that I think the the law sometimes does allow for this. Um but even then, you know, I don't take the strong stance that that to me, it's actually an independent question as to whether or not these things should influence our judgments of blame. So let me give you an, an example. So, so here's what I think is going on. We're using any cue we can to determine whether somebody's a good guy or a bad guy, right? Or a good girl or a bad girl. Well, that sounds way dirtier when you say that. <laughs> right. uh, uh, let's use guys in the inclusive sense. So here's what you might use. Information about their criminal past that they've done bad things before, like harmful bad things. Okay, so in that case, it might make it might make sense to to judge them um, based based on this. But there is information that we might use that that really shouldn't matter. So one example that that I like to use sometimes when I give talks about this is like tattoos. All right, so like tattoos, the time at the time in which my dad was raised, time and place where he was raised, the people, kind of people who had tattoos were just bad people, right? They were just like they're just like criminals, yeah, criminals or, ga- or, or in gangs, or right, right. And I guess the same is true in in Japan, or at least it used to be until recently that yakuza are the ones with tattoos, right? Um, so suppose that you see this and you say this guy's a bad guy, and then he does something, and you 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 heap on extra blame. Like, to me, that's just simply, at this point, it's a cue as to the goodness or the badness of a person that you probably shouldn't rely on, right? That Yeah, if there's no reliable link between a person having tattoos and a person being a bad guy, then yeah, that would just be a mistake. But, I, but I'm reluctant to say that, that the burden ought to be on us to, to figure out which of these things reliably track character. So, like, let's just say that it does reliably track, like, back in the day, if it reliably tracked character. Um, uh, I'm still not convinced that, therefore, you should use it. So, uh, psychologically, I think there are a whole bunch of cues that be even, you know, there's even evidence that uh, that face, the, the shape of someone's face makes them seem more trustworthy or less trustworthy. So, baby face people are seen as more trustworthy. People with haunted haircuts are seen as less trustworthy. <laughs> So I'm, I'm I just like set off conflicting messages. <laughs> I mean, maybe this is a process that ends up misfiring more often than not. Like, this is actually you know one of the things that that I really uh, liked about about writing this paper. And then I, I actually wrote a follow up paper with Roy Baumeister called "Superhero Comics as Moral Pornography," um, where we were arguing very much the same the same thing about uh, characters. And there is this <laughs> there is this way in which we love visually depicting villains as ugly and not like us, or at least as having some characteristic that we could easily spot, like to know that that's the bad guy, right? So the black hat, right. the, the cowboy in the black hat versus the white hat. Like we like telling like the minute they pop on screen, the minute Darth Vader walks in, you know, this can't be a hero, right? You yeah. know, this, this guy has to be the villain. So we make, I think, really, really liberal use of any cue, and it seems to be uh, an independent question as to whether whether or not we ought to use these cues. Because even if they're 
reliably tracking character um, empirically. Unless it's 100%, <laughs> you probably shouldn't use it. Why? Because just innocent until proven guilty. Yeah, that kind of thing. yeah. The other sort of funny thing that popped into my head is if the goal of uh, a blame judgment is to judge the person's character, then shouldn't you have an open mind about the act or at least treat the act like you normally would treat other acts so that you can get the right information about the person's character because if uh, you know there'll be this like snowball effect right yeah if right, right. Uh, if somebody is a bad person then they're going to do more blameworthy things simply in virtue of the fact that they're a bad person it's it's going to be a lot maybe it's going to be a lot harder for a redemption to do a redeeming thing but at the same time again that seems to some extent. I don't know. I don't uh, appropriate not to be a hard ass about it, but if you're if you're if you have a track record of being a bad guy, you are on thinner ice with people yeah. than than somebody who doesn't who deserves more of a benefit of the doubt than you do. You right. know that right. that that strikes me as totally making sense, and you have to bend over backwards if you've been an asshole. Yeah, to, exactly. To make sure you don't do anything that can be construed as as blameworthy, if you want to get back in people's good graces. And you know what? I hate to bring to bring this up, um, and I'm going to say his name, but the storied philosopher that that had to resign. You know, this Colin is a perfect. McKinney, yeah. <laughs> this is a perfect case. You know, not to not to talk trash, but but this is a perfect case where, if if the guy had a reputation for being a really really good person, a lot of people would have jumped to his defense. Absolutely. And, and what you hear when you when you try to listen for colleagues jumping to his defense is just crickets. Like, and yeah, there were a few colleagues that like know Pinker. him. Pinker, but see, I don't think Pinker knows him. You know, no, no, I no. Think, Pinker yeah. then sort of like retracted yeah. it when he heard more about the story. Yeah, yeah. Poor Colin McGinn. Now it really is like pilot. I don't <laughs> I know. know. Poor Colin McGinn. But did you see there was a review of his latest book? <laughs> oh, wow. That was just in that, in that Nina mode, you know, just totally trashing it. And it's I haven't a- read it. But apparently he wrote just another series of incoherent blog posts. Just, ba- oh, you know, just nonsense, uh, you know, sort of. Defending the book, attacking the yeah. Review. This was about like the philosophy of science. It was like and a, I, on the philosophy of physics. It was a metaphysics take on on how physicists get metaphysics wrong, but it relied a lot on actual physics that was wrong apparently. And I, and I bet that the person who wrote that review, you know, I'm I, I'm sure they hated the book, but probably were snider about it and more judgmental of the book. Had Colin McGinn not already developed the reputation of being himself just a right. bad guy, a, a, a snide reviewer himself? I mean, yeah, he, right. He he almost started the tradition of these nasty reviews for the for the New Republic, and so you know, uh, again, like with him as a great example, like I think there's something somewhat appropriate about that. Right. The issue is, of course, we don't know the. Right. We don't know all the we, details. We know about so few right, of the yeah. details of it. Yeah, um, but you know, uh, one thing I don't feel too much is pity. Um, no, because of all of the the things that 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 he's done. Visibly. Plus the fact that he resigned. I, I don't understand why that doesn't get more I play. Know, like I know. you, fi- this is. I mean, maybe this is actually relevant, right? I would think that somebody of good character, if uh, if they were, I would think if somebody made this accusation against you and they were false. Right. Or way, way, way overblown. There's no fucking way you're going to resign. You're going to fight it. You're going to yeah. let the evidence come to light, and you're going to fight it. And you're going right. to and whatever you know. If if some embarrassing details come out, so be it. You're you're not going to just let this happen. You're not going to let this happen to your re- reputation. You're right. just not going to let your you're not going to walk away uh, and make a deal. Essentially. Demanding that the uh, evidence never gets released. <laughs> so once you do that, you forfeit a right to sympathy. And I've, for me at least, and I've always looked at that as you know more of like an honor thing, where you either fight the thing 
or you uh, you shut you shut up, you resign and shut up. Yeah. But he's cho- chosen to you know do a third alternative, which is to resign so that n- none of these facts can come to light, but still take these weird shots on his blog and things like that, and you know p- play a victim. Yeah. And that's what I, that's what I don't like. But maybe the reason I don't like it is that it's because it's itself a sign of the kind of character, the kind of person he is. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm with you, and all with the caveat that I don't personally know the guy, but I, you know, if I had heard anything about his character that seemed in to, to be in a good vein, I think I'd be much more. Even one thing from a personal friend of his. <laughs> I know. Like one time he saved an old lady from. It is. I mean, it's such a cautionary tale from for you because you know <laughs> I was looking on. I have like an online sporting sports book account, and over under for somebody filing like massive sexual harassment charges against you is <laughs> 6 years. So I'm going to have to yeah. I'm going to have to be like Tony Soprano and and only only harass people, you know, like under bridges where there's no surveillance. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, take them out or you take them out to the woods. Actually, I just prefer just to don't bully. get lost. I prefer to bully like I I just sign up for frat houses hazing rituals like I'm the bully. I'm like the sergeant in uh in that Kubrick movie movie full metal jacket <laughs> just just a tirade of insults well I, I posted on facebook today that the whole richie incognito thing was making me realize how uh i need to step up my hazing of justin <laughs> Coates, who's one of our new hires in philosophy <laughs> can you imagine if we did that <laughs> if i left that voicemail <laughs> slap you your, your mother <laughs> That come in your mouth. You call this a publication? Yeah. Yeah. It's seminal. It's seminal, and then I'm going to nut all over it. <laughs> uh, I think that what, one of the things that, that we talk about in this moral pornography thing is I think it's fundamentally fun to divide the world up into good people and bad people. I think that we get some pleasure out of it, and maybe we get some pleasure out of it in the same way that we get pleasure out of junk food, and that's why we called it moral pornography. That that in some ways there is a, there is oh what I was going to say is that um, the error like taken like the movie Taken yeah. so clear like just, who's the good guy who's the yeah. bad guy of the movie. Uh, and there's there's actually uh, on the on the website Reddit where people post links to stories that then get voted up or down. There's a bunch of sub what they call subreddits which are are web pages devoted to a single topic. There's one is this called Justice Porn. You're it is Justice about? Porn. It's Reddit I love that. slash Reddit.com slash I'm putting R that in a paper that I'm about to submit. At. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, Justice Porn. I mean, there is something so deeply satisfying about making these moral evaluations. Like, it, it's almost as if, you know what would ruin? So, Justice Porn is like people showing a video of like somebody who's, who's a bully, who's like clearly bullying a person. Then somebody bigger and stronger comes up and like kicks his ass, or or, or, the, bu- or, or, or my, the favorite ones are like when the bully victim kicks the guy's ass, or when the bully victim kicks the guy's ass. Finally, like the, finally, the, can't there's take a couple, there's the, and there's a great one like that where the bully victim, the guy just he's being harassed, he's being harassed, and then he just steps up and clocks the guy, and the guy's like <laughs> unconscious, and everyone looks at him is like, damn. I know there's one of like a, a guy who just knows martial arts, and he's just being like staunch. He's like not – he's trying right. so hard not to retaliate while this guy's all up in his face. And finally, just boom, like one hit. Just cl- yeah. So you know what would ruin it though is if you actually in the comments somebody bothered to post nuanced – a nuanced version of how this wasn't entirely one-sided. Because like we like right. the good and the bad. We just like it clear cut. And we like our villains to look like Darth Vader and our heroes to look like you know Harrison Ford. Um, and, and, you know, there's in modern cinema, I'm sure there's more moral complexity, but at the end of the day, it's like the stories of the good guys and the bad guys that, and you know, one of the things that's so interesting about modern television right now is how much like the really good shows, the Breaking Bad, Deadwood, The Wire, uh, even the Sopranos is how much it resists the all good. Exactly. Dichotomy, you know, I mean, The Wire 
I mean, it's just is a show completely devoted to that idea where there's no all good or all bad right, person right. until you get to the editor, the Baltimore Sun editor. And <laughs> right, that's <laughs> what sort of that's where that's where what's his name lost all his nuance. David uh, Simon, yeah, 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 no, yeah, there's no nuance, <laughs> no subtlety, no sympathy for you know the the the, the character that's posing all these obstacles, right. Right. pure un, you know, he he's like he's the Darth Vader right well the great thing about the Sopranos and even uh, Breaking Bad is that if you were to read just a paper about the, a mob boss right or a paper about a meth dealer you would have no problem saying this guy is pure evil I don't give a fuck if he a cared about his family a who tried right? to poison a little kid yeah yeah I don't give a fuck about his family and here it's like forced us to like get to know the guy in some ways you know, this is this is one sense of the word character development. Like, uh, like we get to know uh, Walter White's character so well that we just we're forced to not be able to make this quick justice porn style like bad guy judgment, and and that's kind of fucks with you because uh, you know David Chase on on The Sopranos that famous ending of The Sopranos, um, yeah. the best interpretation, and and it seems as if Chase Chase really meant this is that soprano gets clipped at the end yeah. in the in the first person Did you perspective read that, like sort of uh, that long yeah yeah that long old uh, website and it's he says something great about like look you've been rooting for this guy for six years right you you it's you see the world from his perspective guess what you see his death you don't get yeah. to see the morning. You don't get to see the blood. All you hear is the music stop, and that's the end. Yeah. It, was, uh, yeah. it was awesome. It kind of fucked with me. <laughs> I liked that ending. You know, I think uh, it was great. I, yeah. And I guess I didn't have the thing that people who were watching it live, right, because I right, watched right, it right. afterwards, where um, where they thought their cable had gone out or something right. like that. Right. Uh, yeah. Spoiler alert, there's a controversial (laughs) ending where he probably gets clipped at the end. Rewind this and stop it if you haven't seen the the (laughs) Rewind this, brain hypnotize yourself to have forgotten the last five minutes of our conversation. I mean that's a that's fair warning right there, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, we've probably talked to, to enough about this for now, right? I'm sure we'll come back. It's a rare podcast that we have that doesn't relate to to blame, right? Right. In some way, blame. That's why I thought we were only gonna be able to do like six of these. Can you believe? I, I, I can't even believe how many we've done already. You know. You didn't know how willing we were to repeat ourselves. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> there was no way to anticipate that. Um, speaking of good guys. Speaking of heroes, Boston Red Sox won the World Series, and those are so this year. Those are the best. This is the most <laughs> loved team we've ever had, probably including 2004. Although that was a beloved team too. But was 2004 when they broke when they broke the curse? 2004, yeah, 2004 when they broke the when they broke the curse. Yeah. Nobody gives a shit really about you guys. Have turned into winners, though. You know, you're like the I Yankees know. now. But remember like I, the thing. The, the reason I want to mention it here is because I, I remember after the marathon bombing, yeah, that we played Big Poppy's "This Is Our Fucking City" yeah. uh, thing, and uh, you know, and this all the one of the th- great things about this season and this World Series is that that Red Sox team was very connected with the marathon bombing because Patriots Day is about two things in Boston, the marathon and the 11 a.m. Red Sox game, and which, of course, got canceled once this happened, but they, they took it to heart, and Poppy gave that just perfect speech. Did, and, did, uh, and was there any rioting after the victory this year? No. I'm telling you, there was nothing but just good, positive feeling about this about this team. Are they shaving those nasty beards? <laughs> <laughs> those parasite infested. Uh, <laughs> that was the, the only thing I was scared about. I know that's just that's so disgraceful. <laughs> no, you know that it makes me. I actually watched. Such, I'm going to start blaming you for just nothing. I, from I actually. <laughs> I actually, or yeah, anytime I do something ambiguous, you just assume that it must have been like with evil intentions. And, yeah. Um, uh, you had a lot of control over it. <laughs> that I did, that I, uh, no, I actually had the game on uh, just in the background. It's like the only time baseball has been on my TV in 
years. I know. Years. You had it split screen with curling, but yeah. <laughs> it was actually porn. Oh, you know, there was one thing I was going to say about – I don't remember where I heard this, and maybe you've heard it and you can remind me. But it's somebody telling this account about one reason to be truthful and honest your whole life is that when you need that one lie to just save your skin completely, everybody will believe you. That's right. <laughs> I love this view. Like, like, just develop a good character and a reputation for having a good character. That's and right. Pretty much like when you're like 60, you could probably clip someone. You know, you could probably kill them and, yeah. and just say like, oh, my God, I didn't – I can't believe anybody would think this. And people would just jump to your defense. <laughs> Well, it's too late for us to take advantage of that, but for our listeners who have been truthful and honest their whole for the, lives. For the, for the 11 year olds. One free mulligan later on. <laughs> take advantage of it. I know. I, 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 I know. It's, I, believe me, Tamlers, you've probably tried this with your wife a number of times. <laughs> yeah, it just it didn't even work. It didn't even work the first time. So that's uh, that's all from us today. We will be back in two weeks for another episode uh, on we're not sure what. All right. Until next all time. All right. See you next time. For information about this episode, including show notes and links, and to listen to other episodes, please visit us at www.verybadwizards.com. Just a very bad wizard.